Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. It's the wonky show. The government has published its review of the prevent counter-terrorism strategy. We'll work out if campuses really are a breeding ground for extremism. Uh, We'll also discuss this week's reshuffle and its implications for HE. There's a new report on graduate outcomes and earnings and the government's short courses trial. What's going on there? It's all coming up. You know, the children of my friends who are now going down this journey where I have to sort of sit them down and explain to them, you know, all of the sources of information that they could draw on and the only reason that I did that my career is actually a bit of a failure I if I'd been any better as an actor I would be earning far less and I would have pension at all welcome to the wonky show your weekly way into this week's higher education news policy and analysis I'm Wonky's Associate Editor Jim Dickinson and here to explain what on earth is going on as usual three cracking characters of HE. Uh, in Egham, Julie Sanders is Principal at Royal Holloway University of London. Julie, your highlight of the week, please. Well, obviously, Jim, one of the highlights was hosting a vivid visit to our lovely Egham campus by one Vivian Stern yesterday, which included a very unexpected appearance by a, a muntjac deer. But I also have to say, uh, last night, an astonishing one-woman performance, which was responding to... Uh, classical texts and a discussion panel with our drama students in which for a brief moment they allowed me to talk about my research so always spend time with your students it's a good rule excellent and in bloomsbury vivian stern is chief exec at universities uk viv your highlight of the week please well obviously my highlight of the week was going to see julie yesterday in Royal Holloway and the monk uh, the, the monk jack deer which was a real surprise but you know a close second was receiving my mbe from the king on tuesday Brilliant. And in Darlington this week, David Kernahan is Associate Editor at Wonky. DK, your highlight of the week, please. Um, I'm just going to say the number 33, and hopefully we will come to that later in the podcast. How mysterious. So yes, we start this week with the reshuffle. Rishi Sunak followed through his campaign promise to set up a dedicated energy ministry. And there were other changes of interest to the sector too, Julie. Yeah, absolutely. So so, so the government reshuffle this week, I suppose the, the demise of, of, of Bayes, the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, four new departments, um, most of interest, I think, to, to, to our discussion, uh, one on energy security and net zero and the new Department of Science, Innovation and Technology, the acronym that we're all going to use yet to be confirmed, led by Michelle Donnellan, of course, briefly Culture Media Sport Minister, even more briefly Education Minister, before that, of course, Higher Education Minister, um, I think in the higher education scientific community, some uh, positive responses to that, a sense of a focus on key issues, um, not least climate action context. Work looks really possible in this context. But as ever, uh, worry that restructures, reorganisations actually presage several months of focusing on administrative processes and movements and, and not real real action. I guess it really is the completion of the demise of uh, the UK industrial strategy, if there was ever any doubt. But a new honed focus on science being welcomed. Some questions, I guess, to discuss about where it might sit in the pecking order for Treasury's support right now. Vivian, does the, behind the scenes when these things happen, like, is, is it as disruptive as, as, as we're sometimes led to believe? Well, I don't know. You always worry about where the, the sort of people who've been very heavily involved in significant topics are going to end up. So, I mean, I was quite relieved 
to see that some of the key civil servants who've been working on horizon alternatives and, and, and the association question are still in place in the new department. But there's always this slight risk that you lose the kind of um, knowledge that's built up on topics that in some cases are quite, you know, detailed and technical and 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 that, that and, and actually, there's that risk without a reshuffle. Let, let alone when there's a, a kind of structural change, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, I think maybe it's just me getting old. But when reshuffles happen, I just there's, there's sometimes you just have a you have a big old sign. You think, oh god, we're going to have to start all over again. I mean, I guess with this one, George Freeman sticking around, I think is broadly speaking a great thing. And then uh, Michelle Donnellan, I imagine there will be um, there will be sort of you know maybe a variety of opinions about whether this is um, a good thing or a bad thing. I have to say on Michelle Donnellan. I always found when I was on the international side that she really got and championed the international student bit. So I hope she's going to be rolling out and backing us at Cabinet uh, in the current uh, arguments we're having about that. And the second is I've always thought that the the, the sort of erosion of the connection of policy terms between um, higher education and research was just a bad thing. And uh, so the fact that she understands the higher education patch, patch is going to be, I think, helpful to us. DK, I mean, look, if I was a Secretary of State that was about to be kind of vaguely responsible for the first time that Eurovision has been hosted in the UK for decades, and then I got moved two months, three months before it happened, I'd be furious. But that aside, there's, there are a lot of junior ministers that kind of just do what they're told to do, that then become Secretaries of State, that then become kind of much more interesting and creative, aren't they? It is the case. I mean, we do see, um, I think uh, Michelle Donnellan's always had her own personality, her own approach. Uh, she did do a little bit of the old culture wars thing in her time at higher education, but it, you got, always got the impression it was never quite as much as Gavin Williamson or maybe the team at uh, number 10 at the time would have liked to her uh, to have done. Um, whether or not you agree with her, she is a serious person. She is a capable person. Uh, my colleague Debbie McVitie liked to talk about her, uh, her kind of girly SWAT energy, which I think is a great encapsulation of the kind of mindset she takes things seriously. She does the reading. I think that she is, um, a sensible and capable appointment to a department that is obviously a priority. But I just wanted to say something about this, the, the sector response, if I may. There's been a few people around the sector. Uh, I mean, Jonathan Simons at, uh, Public First did an article on this on CapEx, I think it was, lamenting the fact that we don't have universities in this department. And I think deep down lamenting the fact that we don't have a department with the name universities in the title. Um, historically, the idea of universities being in a department at all is actually rather an aberration for the largest part of the 20th century. It was kind of the University Grants Commission was kind of vaguely fastened on to the Treasury. It didn't report into a minister at all. It just got given the money and told to get on with it. And although it is good to see that the um, government paying more attention to science and thinking about its investment in science and that the person responsible for making those decisions, as Vivian says, has got an interest and understanding in the work of um, universities. I think there's a few people in the sector who um, might be thinking, you know, can't they just leave us alone to get on with stuff? I, I, I guess I think you can read this in two ways. There, there's, you can say 
Isn't this fantastic as a signal that government right at the top thinks that investment in research and innovation is key to national economic prosperity? It's so important that there should be a whole department focused on it and there should be a seat at the cabinet table for um, the research and science base. I think that that's the positive way of looking at it. And I'm a glass half first uh, full person, so that's what I'm going with. There are other people who think, okay, this department's whole focus will be tinkering with um, what UKRI and the academies do. And that there has been a tendency recently to become much more sort of interventionalist, micromanagey in the way that the research system works. And I think that, you know, the, there could be downsides to that. So we just have to um, keep an eye on how much the government believes that it is politicians and civil servants who can make the best decisions about how uh, research funding should be deployed in the national interest. My view is actually that's probably not the right uh, mindset. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just going to pick up on, on on that point about, you know, universities not in the title. And I think there are regrets. I think there's also a regret that everything becomes focused on on science when what we need are collaborative labs and projects. That said, I think the plus about Michelle Dollar and, you know, we've had such a problem in so many uh, of the offices, a brief 10 years, but at least she did have that time with higher education uh, during the pandemic. When I have to say, like Vivian, behind the scenes, I actually found her uh, very helpful. Um, she was always in touch. She was always available for, for discussions. And she has that knowledge from from that work and those relationships she built then that, that can maybe start to respond to some of the things like the chronic lab shortage that we know is a UK issue for science and, and innovation. DK, what happened to those stories a few weeks ago? Was, was it months ago? I lose track with, with, that, that, were, that were being leaked maybe from the Treasury about UKRI. Was, have they all disappeared? Uh, we've not heard anything about UKRA for a while. We're still waiting for the review of the way it works, of course. Um, and that might point to some changes in the way that science is managed and um, funded and no successive science ministers. And we've had a fair few have been concerned about um, bureaucracy, but also researchers are concerned about fairness and making sure that um, a larger but still limited pot gets itself to into the pockets of people who we can actually do interesting research with it. And I think that's fair enough as well. I should also mention ARIA at this point just started our advertising for program managers this week. Looks like a fascinating job, but the whole of ARIA is just basically eight million pounds of complete uh kind of uh blue sky thinking really isn't it you know so the success or otherwise of what aria does and crucially the way in which aria as a, a trailblazer for the idea of blue skies research um just letting academics the smart people um get on with things and getting out of the way the way that's perceived in the media i think is going to be absolutely key so, so the um appointment there to watch is who is going to be press officer yes reach for the moon as uh, as s club seven once said now let's see who's been blogging for us this week hi i'm kevin mcstravick and this week in wonky i've been blogging about how student governors perceive power student membership of governing body is a long-established tradition in uk and irish higher education yet not a lot is known about students experience in these governor roles in the blog, I outline a recent study carried out with current and previous university student governors that explores the physical and symbolic manifestations of power they experienced 
and looked specifically at how and if these perceptions differ between in-person and online governing body meetings. The study uncovered numerous challenges students face in learning to play the game of governance and considered the importance of personal relationships for building confidence and capacity among student governors. Now, next up, the government has published its long-awaited independent review of its counter-terrorism strategy, and the sector comes in for some criticism, DK. So this is the Shawcross review of Prevent. It's been rolling along since 2021 and finally appeared this week. The headline's pretty much as we'd expect. Prevent takes an expansive approach to right-wing extremism, uh, but when it comes to Islamic um ideology linked terrorism it's a little bit too narrow um so i mean that's been the headlines that's been what everybody has been uh talking about uh but there's a um a bunch of stuff on universities um shawcross has spotted and did not like the fact that um universities and SDUs on balance are not fans of the prevent program as it currently stands uh he talks about false perceptions around the statutory requirements of prevent and he limits a strikingly low number of prevent referrals from he yeah now chat up into channel yeah 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 into channel yeah i mean this is interesting in that you'd think if there's not very many referrals from the university system itself into prevent you'd think perhaps universities might be seen as being quite good at dealing with extreme invo- extremist um, and um, radicalizing voices on campus. And meanwhile, in another part of Whitehall, which is coming to the conclusion, as I'm sure we'll get to, of the Higher Education Freedom of Speech Bill that explicitly recognizes that universities are good and need to get much better at allowing a full diversity of opinion on campus. So it's interesting times. Um, the response from the National Union of Students in particular was incredibly robust. Um, the report says that the NUS has provided a platform for others to spread misinformation on Prevent, which I feel is maybe a little strong. NUS themselves come, um, come back with a critique that uh, the report claims the link between Prevent and Islamophobia is false but they've got survey evidence and um, data that they claim speaks for itself and the particular impact of the prevent legislation on uh, the vast overwhelming majority of Muslim students who've got no interest in terrorism or anything linked to it whatsoever Um, that is a huge and well documented issue so there's a, um, a lot in here really to unpack well um, he mentions universities, and it's really important that, as a feature of William Shawcross's report, he talks about um, the extent of anti-prevent um, activity on university campuses. And indeed, in some of the very tragic cases that he goes through, there are instances where terrorists uh, who have brought terror and destruction uh, to innocent victims in the UK have been effectively radicalised on campus. It's absolutely vital that we take meaningful steps to ensure that uh, there is no platform 
within universities for these campaigns. Vivian, let's explore the the freedom of speech stuff for a second. I mean, you, you know, it feels to me like we've had a couple of years of the government saying you, you, there's too much restrictions, too much risk assessment. You've got to let people speak and debate things. And then yesterday, Suella Braverman stood up in the Commons and said we ought to have no platform for uh, criticism of prevent. I mean, is that are we are we through the looking glass? Well, it's certainly very frustrating. And I think what is particularly frustrating is the suggestion that universities and the leadership of universities are somehow willfully either, you know, curtailing or, or constraining free speech or uh, on the other side and um, that they are, uh, you know, they are, they're providing platforms for, for, for people to express dangerous uh, views. And I think that there is something here about the, the distinction between violent and nonviolent extremism and the suggestions that, um, you know, prevent could be a, a mechanism for, for dealing with what I would see as entirely legitimate, um, if vociferous protest. And, and I think what I would like people to, what we need to move into a space where, um, it is understood that the, that navigating you, an institutional path between these, um, different pieces of legislation is extremely difficult. And for any institution that's trying to prevent, to, to pre- preserve harmonious relationships on campus, uh, you know, it's not simple. And I worry a little bit, especially with the implementation of the freedom of speech legislation and the, um, arrival on the scene of the office for students that there, there is, you know, there are people on both sides of this argument that would like to pretend this is very straightforward and simple. And, uh, it isn't. Yes. I just want to, I just want to keep kind of rattling sabers and threatening. <laughs> Rather than kind of help, it. and 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 that's for universities, let alone for students' unions trying to navigate that balance. Very very difficult. Julie, one of the things he does raise is this question about um, the extent to which, in particular, academic staff should be kind of you know compelled to take part in prevent training, and that has been controversial around the sector, hasn't it? It, it, it is controversial. I mean, I think an offering of, of opportunities of training, but that training has to in itself be open to debate and discussion. That's what academics do. You know, they, they're, they're trained in critical thinking. They're trained to ask why. They're trained to look at the research. And that's what we want. I mean, some of the things that the report's pulling out, like a, a, a deeper attention to anti-Semitism, well, some of that best work is, is going on in, in academic thinking through, through applied research and, and, and work with communities. I mean, it does, it feels sometimes like you can, you know, you can do nothing right. I, I sometimes read these reports and the sort of use of language and, and, you know, put ourselves in the shoes of the, the legal teams, but the events teams at universities who have just worked really hard to do this. And, and to use the phrase like strikingly low number of referrals, well, maybe it's just the right number of referrals, um, because people are doing their job well. And to have a phrase like no platform, somehow associated at the same time as those same groups are trying to deal thoughtfully and well as ever with the free speech debate. Um, it, it, it just feels problematic. And I think there's little evidence um, and some really questionable associations in, in the report. It sort of implies that certain terrorist attacks took place and some people went to university and, and it sort of sits there in the report. And I think it's really, really difficult. There are teams who have worked incredibly hard here 
to manage a complex space and to create brave and uh, you know safe spaces of dialogue and working with the students union i think it's a credit to universities and it would be nice actually if some people could get on the ground and see what that felt like day to day DK, talking about kind of being on the ground, one of the things that Shawcross, um, you know, take, take, takes a run at is effectively risk-based regulation. He fe- effectively, Shawcross is saying, look, OFS doesn't kind of routinely turn up with a clipboard and find out whether, you know, whether you're rolling out your prevent training. It, it, it has this kind of mysterious uh, risk-based, you know, profile for each institution. And, and, and largely that regulation is desk-based. Where, where will that land, do you think? So the prevent um, regulatory stuff, the prevent um, data return, of course, is where we get the marvelous statistics about the low number of um, invited speaker um, opportunities on uh, uh, campus that are cancelled and the even lower number that are cancelled for mysterious other reasons. Uh, I mean... OFS has always set out that it wants to be a risk-based regulator, that it wants to reduce um, reduce burden. Although, of course, at the moment, it's now doing the whole boots-on-the-ground thing, which is um, an almost complete reversal of that position. I think at the end of the day, um, certain parts of the government, certain parts of our political system, would like to see people going into universities and telling them what to do and telling them what they uh, can't do, what they shouldn't be doing. This all reminds me of uh, back at the start of the career of Ronald Reagan. He, It was his thing, it was his stick to go into universities and say, look at all the, the um, dreadful things students are being taught and encouraged to do. Look at the dreadful behaviour of students protesting and having free speech and stuff like that. And in this... Um, dreadful. And there is a mindset of that in some of the government's approach to universities, that it would just be better if we could just get in there, get our boots on the ground and tell them what to do. In reality, as I mean, uh, Dooley has just told us, um, these are really difficult, really nuanced decisions, getting the um, balance right between allowing freedom of speech, allowing allowing this stuff to be discussed and um, getting the bleach of uh, sunlight onto some of these really disturbing ideas that are um, coming up. I was surprised not to read the word incel, actually, in the report, and I think this is something that we're going to see a lot more of that kind of ideology, the Andrew Tate stuff, um, as presenting a problem on uh, campus, and I think the response to of um, universities of that is going to be interesting. But it needs to be nuanced, it needs to be personalised, and I don't think a blanket approach of inspections is the way to make that work. Interesting. Now, uh, while we're on the kind of balance between freedom from harm and freedom to speak, uh, the free speech bill was back in the Commons list this week. Let's have a little listen. And the bill will protect academic freedoms and encourage freedom of speech on campus in a number of ways. But the cornerstone of the bill, the cutting edge, is Clause 4. The clause that the other place has attempted to remove and that the government is rightly insisting to reinsert. Now, Clause 4 has a simple purpose. It will allow students or academics who have had their free speech rights infringed to sue the university or student union that has targeted them. In other words... It will allow academics to seek rapid redress in a financially affordable way. 
Without this clause, the free speech protections included as a bill can only be enforced by an independent regulator, which will likely take months to resolve any disputes, or by bringing a judicial review against the university in question, which is prohibitively expensive for almost all students and academics. So in effect, the clause provides a kind of instant feedback mechanism that will dissuade universities from acting to restrict freedom of speech in the first place. And without a tort, the student would have to resort to a judicial review with costs in excess of £100,000 to secure their rights. And if this were the case, it would be sensible to assume that the universities would be far less likely to uphold their freedoms in the first place, especially if they're coming under considerable internal pressure, as we have heard. So the tort is essential to protect academic freedoms. And I thank the minister wholeheartedly for taking the time to listen to academics, to free speech campaigners and for standing firm on this, despite their lordship's best efforts uh, to move her. Two, conservative, two former Conservative universities ministers. The two, arguably, have had the most impact on our higher education system over the last 13 years, both saying that the tour provided by Clause 4 is wrong, both backing Lords Amendment 10, and it didn't stop there. Vivian, how's this going to turn out? Are we, is the, is the talk going to be a backstop or a front stop, do you think? Uh, I think we'd probably get the talk back. Um, uh, and it, it, it's really depressing, isn't it? That we've, we've, we've tried to, I mean, it, the, 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 there have been some improvements in the, um, government position on the talk in terms of restricting its applicability, but, uh, I suspect they'll reinstate it. But as a backstop or a front stop, do you think? Um, I don't know. <laughs> 50, 50, flip a coin flip a coin type uh, very good DK do we, has it been rescheduled yet is, is, do we have any sense of uh, we don't mind? have a date for it yet uh, Commons considera- uh, old consideration of Commons Amendment the whole ping pong thing it, seem, it, it tends to be kind of snuck in in the boundaries of other bits so it, it might not even show up on the older paper until the day itself uh, this First one, I suspect, and I think I've said on the site or on a daily or something, that then the um, negotiations between the key people in the Lords, like David Willits, like Joe Johnson, and the Department for Education are going to be key here. This is the the, the way in which compromises are, are, are reached um, kind of via a process called, in a delightfully UK parliamentary way, the usual channels. Um, so that's the discussions that are going on at the moment how far can um, DFE move to keep the Lords happy? How far can the Lords move to give DFE what they want? I suspect we're going to see something on the face of the bill about the fact that you need to exhaust other um, approaches before you do this. I think that's the obvious concession that the government needs to make. How long it takes is anyone's guess, really. Now, new balls, please. Uh, We've got an event coming up in a few weeks, and here's someone called Jim to tell us more. Hi, it's Jim from the team here with news of the secret life of students. Back for its fourth year, we're going to take the opportunity to get real about students, bringing together sector leaders and managers, as well as student leaders and student union managers, to get an accurate and unvarnished picture of the student condition in 2023, so we can work out how to respond rather than just react. Shifting from a surface-level understanding of student satisfaction with services to a deeper understanding of their motivations, ambitions and lives can be hugely rewarding and important both for them and those supporting them. It's also vital in an age that seems quick to assume, judge and condemn students rather than listen, understand and act on their concerns. 
So at the event, we'll be asking questions like, what are students doing when they're not in the classroom? Where is the line between their desire to collaborate and regulations that ban collusion? Is it true they're not prepared to debate and discuss controversial issues? Why do they rate assessment and feedback so badly on the NSS? And how many are confident about being real students, let alone what comes next? On the day, we'll feature key findings into the student experience from the past year. We'll launch exciting new research into the student learning experience beyond the classroom. And we'll launch our new Student Insights platform, Belong, a wonky group GTI initiative. And we'll share the first findings from its research. It's an essential event for anyone working on policy and delivery for students. That's the secret life of students. London, March the 14th. We'd love to see you there. Go to wonky.com forward slash events and book now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Okay, so I've been trying to find out what's been happening with the short course uh, trial. This is a thing the government are doing in advance of the start of the LLE, and we just saw that bill land in Parliament last week. Um, and I've been trying to find out how many students are actually signing up for this full deal. The idea you can do a short course and get an undergraduate style student loan to pay for it. Uh, we asked, um, or rather Emma Hardy, um, member of parliament for Hull and Hessel asked, um, back in September and we were told there were 12 students that had signed up for this, which didn't sound like very many, but the caveat from Andrea Jenkins was, that a lot of these courses are going to start from January 2023. So it seemed reasonable for Emma to ask again in 2023. She did. And Halfen told her that we currently have no plans to publish any specific data, which means that they're quite embarrassed about this. So I got in touch with the student loans company. They told me there have been 33, that's three, three, 33 applications for student finance as a part of this short courses trial. So for 104 odd courses in 20 plus institutions, all kinds of stuff going on, all kinds of opportunities, uh, the government's big policy push, only 33 people have been interested enough to actually want to take out this loan. Now this to me asks a lot of questions on the LLE. It's always been a great idea to expand skills provision, short courses, bite-sized learning, giving learners what they want and it is clear learners do are interested in short courses because loads of universities run them but it's not clear that learners want undergraduate style student loans for them not clear they want to be making um however long the repayment the um repayments are not clear they really want higher education credit there's a lot of demand side research needs to be done on the LLE before we move to legislation and making it happen 
So that's my number of the week. If I can start a little podcasting right that. Um, number 33, 33 applications for student finance as part of the short courses trial. Fascinating stuff, and there's more on that on the site. Now, finally this week, a new report out from the Social Mobility Commission is interesting. Vivian, uh, why is it interesting? Uh, I think this is a, a very interesting report indeed. It's a, a report by the Social Mobility Commission on the labour market value of higher, educa- higher and further education uh, courses. Um, which tries to look at the value add um, of uh, HE and FE. And defining that, I suppose this is probably uh, something pretty well understood by most of the audience, but, you know, comparing earnings with those who, um, of those who studied for a particular com- uh, qualification compared to those who um, did not, but also accounting for prior attainment, geography, measures of disadvantage, school and other kind of personal characteristics. So before you account for all of those things, at 29, those who attended higher education, undertook higher education programs, um, undergraduate programs were at 20 and 25% more in the case of men and 50% more in the case of women compared to those who had, um, five GCSEs, uh, graded A star to C. And, um, but once you take into account, account those, uh, those other factors, um, they adjust that to 19% advantage for men and 24. Uh, percent for women but there's actually a lot of other stuff in this report which i think and um, bears uh, reading so i you know i think it, there's a really good premise behind this which is about students having more sort of data and information and understanding when they make their their choices so students should be given more details about how the courses they study after leaving might and it is a might impact it, 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 in employment prospects that that all seems well and good but it did strike me reading through the whole report is, is sort of head round with lots of possibilities and and maybes and and limited sample references. And I think the report in itself is is very upfront about that. I'm not criticising that, but I worry that some of the stats will be and graphs will just be used as a, a blunt instrument without that contextualisation that's that's been um, put around things really. And and language matters. And there's talk about the most selective universities hindering social mobility about being the worst defenders. I, I just wish we could find a better language to, to engage with some of this work. And it, it does acknowledge, actually, that we just don't have the longitudinal figures in in some cases to see where some of the scholarship and investment and access work has, has, has actually played out recently. And then, you know, language matters with this phrase value add for me. And, and it, it does say, it's very clear in the report, of course, it says students may still choose these courses for other valid reasons, they just need to be aware of the possible labour market implications. All well and good, but it, it's where it gets picked up in the media and you get that. I'm going to make the same old horrific chestnut point I always make. You know, there's questions of motivations here. There's about the kinds of careers that are about choosing social impact and social contribution. And the students I talk to around the Royal Holloway campuses are, are just really clear about this being a very important factor for them and they are many of them students who are first in family free school meals and all the things that 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 factor in here you know it it matters if you take a business degree and you decide to use those amazing skills to work in an NGO or to work in a citizens advice bureau right now advising people on on cost of living and if you could monetize out the contribution to to well-being and the economy it's really considerable so so again I the report is good. I think it's a step towards something, but I worry about the blunt instrument uh, use of it. DK, have I imagined this, or is there press coverage this morning suggesting that in the report there's a recommendation to publish 
uh, you know, graduate outcomes alongside course advertising. We've been here before, haven't we? Uh, not only have we been here before, we already do via the KISS widget that is now the Discover Uni widget. Um, the thing with this report, me, is it once again, we're down to Leo data. I've written so much on the site about longitudinal education outcomes data to the extent I've expressed it as two laws of output metrics. The first law is you can't meaningfully examine output metrics without controlling for sex, background characteristics, subject provider, region of residence, and any attempt to do this makes for an unusably small sample size. And the second law of output metrics is if you've got a data set that doesn't even recognize part-time work and the idea of a part-time salary, then you're probably on a hiding to nothing. Uh, so this SNC stuff, it is the report is kind of basically a literature review looking at some of the best research that's been done using these data on HE and FE by people like the IFS, by people like the team at um, DFE, the, the um, Future Skills Unit, all that kind of stuff. And just coming up with, what do we know about this? Uh, this the key outcome is that, in general, um, if you go to HE, your salary will be better. And in general, if you go to FE, your salary will be a bit better, but not as good as if you did an apprenticeship. And then again, not as good if you went to HE. There's lots of stuff to argue about around the size, around subject and provider choice, as Julie and uh, Vivian have noted here. Um, this is not uh, the kind of thing you see in a first-year economic textbook. Students, applicants do not act in this, made that kind of rational homo economicus um, uh, maximising um, their likely salary return way. Some students just like dancing, and I think that's fantastic that we can support the UK's um professional dancers professional dance sector which are in the words of many ministers world class and we should not worry about the fact in this part of the system that um dancers don't get paid very much or don't have permanent full-time work and we should think about reforms to the arts industry to think oh, actually maybe we should just support artists a little bit um properly it is good to see the social uh, mobility commission um doing this stuff um getting stuck back into the evidence and the literature after a brief flight of fancy under Catherine Burblesing who has now decided to step down and focus on her core career which is um i think is writing nonsensical articles in the times um and it is good it's a decent report it's a good summary if you're going to start a phd in this stuff i'd say that's a, a a list of the key document you can read um is it going to move the dial no thing is though viv right like all three of you have done what i might call a kind of you know warm and comforting yeah but bomb right so, so you know you have to you have to think about all the other factors blah blah blah, blah. but you know if i'm if i'm gawping at a a, a a higher education provider website that says you know boost your career maximize your future um you know all that kind of stuff and then when i actually look at the small print um i'm highly unlikely to get a graduate job i'm highly likely if i'm on that program on at that institution to get significantly less than you know i, I might imagine from the photos is it is it consumer signaling and choice that should and better information that should deal with that or is it 
uh, you know, regulation that should deal with that? Or shouldn't we be dealing with that at all? We should just deal with the quality of the output. I mean, I, I think that the, you know, one of the things I quite like about what the Social Mobility Commission is sort of prioritising is that I agree that the focus should be on helping um, predominantly, but not only young people, make a good, well-informed decision that takes into account all the things that are important to them. And I am, I, I do think there's a bit of a problem with um, with information, advice, and guidance for people sort of starting on uh, further education or higher education um, pathway. So I'm all for. Um, you know, a renewed effort to help students make good decisions for them. And I, and I, you know, I probably shouldn't uh, rely on personal experience, but I'm a bit horrified by the, you know, the children of my friends who are now going down this journey where I have to sort of sit them down and explain to them, you know, all of the sources of information that they could draw on. But, but going back to the point about we do tend as a sector to, um, to come back to this argument. Have I ever told you that? And um, the only reason that I did, that my career is actually a bit of a failure. I, if I'd been any better as an actor, I would be earning far less and I wouldn't have a pension at all. And, um, you know, I think that the, 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 we, we do, it is important we make the argument, but at the same time, um, you know, students having good information that helps them make a, a decision about their path according to what seems to them important at the time. I don't see, you know, that seems to me a good thing for us all, all to be focusing on. It's not really, you know, your life after you graduate, to a certain extent, it is what you're making. And if we're really concerned about graduate outcomes, we need to reform the labour market and the way we we um, actually regulate the labour market and regulate salaries, as opposed to thinking it's all a problem we can solve with inputs when the problem, as office students like to tell us, is outputs. Well, I just wanted to sort of come back in on your point about sort of signalings in marketing collaterals and I and I do think the sector needs to be careful about the kind of claims it, it it's putting out there but I, I think we also need to attend to some of our own sort of value statements that we make too and, and listen to the students in this context so Robert Halfen himself in the recent letter to vice-chancellors talking about degree apprenticeships it was talking about social justice but but actually if we're really debating social justice and our students on the whole are then definitions of success are quite varied and they aren't just about the probability of being in the X top percent of, of earners. And, you know, that might sound like an easy kind of pushback, but I, I think it, it really matters. So that's about it for this week. Remember to dig a bit deeper into anything we've discussed today. You'll find links in the show notes on wonky.com. Don't forget you can get the latest show automatically when it's out. Just search for The Wonky Show wherever you get your podcasts. And to find out how we can keep you and your organisation ahead of everything going on on UKHE, do head to the website to find out more about our subscriptions. So thanks very much to Julie, Viv, DK and our news editor Michael Salmon who makes the show happen behind the scenes. We'll be back next week. Mark will be here. Take care. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.